Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk? Today, we're going to talk about Biden and the three B's, Democrat doomsday, socialism, a bigger threat to America than the coronavirus, and Attorney General Bill Barr gets Bernie Sanders. And I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And welcome again to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Well, this is an amazing thing that happened in sat- on Saturday. Former Vice President Joe Biden, on his third time running for president, third time he's run because he ran in 1998 and in 2008. This is the first primary Joe Biden has ever won. It's, it's kind of an astonishing record. So Joe Biden very decisively won the South Carolina Democratic presidential primary. He won with 48.4% of the vote. Very, very, you know, a, you know undeniable victory. 48.4%. Next highest was Bernie Sanders, slightly under 20%. Uh, below that, 11% was uh, Tom Steyer, who's now dropped out. So this is really a turning point, or at least it is an amazing time in the Democrat primary, because prior to this, in our presidential primary on the Democrat side, Bernie Sanders had kind of steamrolled along. He's run three, won three primaries. So here we are in South Carolina. The great thing about it is South Carolina is more reflective of perhaps more establishment thinking Democrats, more people who are really not radical leftist, Vermont-based socialist voters, these are heart and soul Democrats, and they came out in great numbers to support Joe Biden. So now the Democrats have faced tomorrow. Tomorrow's the big day, Super Tuesday. Many, many primaries happening tomorrow. And the Democrat voter is faced with a really stark choice, a really an, an undesirable choice. First of all, the only serious competitors left are the three Bs. Joe Biden seemingly increasingly stumbling, unable to remember what he's running for, what state he is in, can't keep simple facts straight. In fact, he just, he got confused even after his victory and he was interviewed by Chris Wallace to, and Chris Wallace is running through with him the very serious problem the Biden campaign faces and having so many gaffes, misspeaks, uh, just, just ridiculous kind of things. And even during the presidential debates, on the Democrat side, Joe Biden, you can, and I, I just, I looked at doing this, I decided not to do it because it's almost cruel, but you can cobble together a series of Joe Biden statements during the presidential debates when you should be on your game, on your, on your top game, where he's stumbling through sentences and mumbling and not making any sense and starting over. This happens to him over and over and over and over. He's not your ideal Democrat candidate, but given the current slate. This is for many people, the safest one. So Biden has an interview with Chris Wallace about all of the gaffes and is it going to hurt his campaign? Will people uh, mind or be concerned about his numerous major mistakes in speaking? He said just last week he was running for Senate. He said, I mean, president. He thought he was in North Carolina. He was in South Carolina. So to to wrap up the interview with Chris Wallace as they're closing out, Joe Biden said, thanks, Chuck. 
Now, he's thinking of his interview with Chuck Todd, I assume. But in any case, you know, so just even in an interview, it's like a Saturday Night Live routine. Even in an interview where you're discussing your gaffes, he does a major gaffe. But here we have Biden winning the Democrat primary in South Carolina and many people feeling a little bit relieved in the Democrat side, thinking, OK, maybe we're not going to have to face Bernie Sanders, a socialist versus Trump with the booming economy. I, I think the Democrats, many, many Democrats, millions of Democrats fear that. So here we have. So Biden wins, um, wins in South Carolina. So we have the three B's left. We have Biden still in clearly Bernie Sanders, the winner of previous primaries and the a very outspoken and in fact, increasingly radical. And I think it's perfectly fine to call him a communist. When you read the things he says he would do on day one, the man is not just a Democrat socialist. He is a very strident left wing radical socialist on his path to becoming a communist. And the third choice is New York Mayor Mike Bloomberg, also trying to make his, in fact, he, Bloomberg, has been spending all of his money in the big primary states tomorrow, Super Tuesday. So I want to give you a little bit of depth uh, thought about the, uh, because I do think this is doomsday for the Democrat Party. They had a wide slate of people. They had Klobuchar dropped out today. So Klobuchar is out. Buttigieg dropped out yesterday. Uh, Elizabeth Warren said she's staying in until the end. She doesn't say what the end means, but she said no matter, I assume until they get to the convention, but she's saying she's staying in no matter what. But the basic only serious contenders remaining in the Democrat primary are the three Bs. So I want to share us a little bit more about them. So Bernie Sanders, winner of the um, first three primaries and very strident radical leftist, radical socialist, has been talking about what he would do in the very first day if he wins the presidency. Like, what's he going to do? What does it mean to America if he wins? So he talked about things like he is going to pledge to make an executive order legalizing marijuana in all 50 states. And there has been some dispute historically about whether the federal government could do that. Can they override the state laws or whether, you know, is that a federal court, federal law jurisdiction, federal government jurisdiction, or is that a state one? But in any case, he says, and he said in a recent speech that it's very clear, he has the authority. Day one, he's going to legalize marijuana in every state, moving forward to expunge the records of all people arrested for possession of marijuana. Um, he's going to ensure that 1.8 million illegal immigrants will be protected from deportation. So he's going to protect legal immigrants staying here. He's going to end ice raids. I mean, the guy is a radical leftist. And as you know, if you listen to his this program or you listen to his speeches, he is talking about making everything that costs money magically be free. He is the king of the free lunch promises, making many, many, many Democrats nervous because most of the programs he's proposing, such as Medicare for all, or which is socialized medicine, which is basically a promise that he is going to tax all of America enough to pay to make health care free. Same thing with college loan debt and making public college free, all public universities to be free, and paying off all the college loan debt. And you stop and think about that. If you're the hardworking, tax-paying American who saved money to send your kids to school, or you're a student who worked your way through, went to college because you had jobs, one or more jobs that you worked during college, your tax dollars are going to pay for the debt incurred by a college student who you didn't ask that student to take out that loan, you didn't co-sign on the loan, you got no benefit of any kind from the loan made to that student, 
but you're on the hook to pay for that student's debt. This is not sitting well in mainstream America. So you have Bernie Sanders remaining in the Democrat primary, very, very scary to many people. And I want to turn to Bloomberg for just a minute before we wrap up this first five. So Michael Bloomberg is trying to portray himself as kind of the grown-up in the room. You know, he's been around. He's been the New York City mayor. He knows how to get things done. And, you know, he's a, um, you know, he's a former executive because he's been mayor. I mean, in, in the political world, he's been mayor of New York City. Um, I want to play a clip. I want you to hear, this is Mike Bloomberg being interviewed and was on 60 Minutes. He was interviewed and talking about essentially what happened in 2016 and why he thinks what happened in 2016 and those elections make him the most viable candidate in 2020. Here's Mike Bloomberg. A few years ago, there was a revolution against the intelligentsia. People said, you know, those people, particularly on the coasts, are trying to tell us what to do. They wanted to change. Uh, that explains Donald Trump. Now, th people seem to have changed. This cycle, um, people want stability. Yeah, I don't think so. This is him trying to say that this whole populist uprising that brought President Trump into office in 2016 was due to just disdain for the ruling elites. But now that America has seen four years or three and a half years of a non-ruling elite of President Trump being in office, America's ready for a change. Or ready, you know, and he's kind of saying, bring back the ruling elite. Vote for me, I'm a ruling elite. I have tons of money and I'll, I'll get whatever I want. And you people in America have now realized you need the ruling elite. You don't, you can't have these you know, ridiculous characters who have no political history, who have no political you know, uh, resume. You can't have them running the country. You can't have a guy like Trump. You know, all the populists probably deeply regret their vote in 2016. This is Mike Bloomberg completely out of touch with America, completely out of touch with all the voters who flocked to the polls to get Trump elected in 2016 and who will do the same thing in 2020. There's more about Bloomberg, but I don't, I want to be sure and leave time for a couple of the stories today, but I urge you to go to our website, americacanwetalk.org on the homepage under shows, drop down list of links. You can read a really insightful uh, piece written about Bloomberg and the kind of guy he was as a mayor. Bloomberg is not just wealthy. I mean, many wealthy people are in politics, you know, politics are expensive. And so, you know, many wealthy people are able to fund massive campaigns. Bloomberg is not though just wealthy like other people are wealthy. He makes Donald Trump look like an everyday Joe in comparison of wealth. Bloomberg is worth around 60 billion, B as in boy, billion. He is the world's, the, not just the country's, the world's ninth richest person in his office as in mayor of New York City, well known for bulldozing his way through to get whatever he wanted by spending money. Arm twisting, bribing, I don't mean bribing in the criminal sense, but I mean using his money to get his way. He's a little dictator. He is a little tyrant who thinks when he gets, he's gonna buy this election, which he has been doing so far. He didn't even get in at the beginning of the primary season. He's been spending money in the big uh, states that have their primaries tomorrow on Super Tuesday. This is not a guy who thinks he has to campaign and convince the common man. This is a guy who's spending his billions to pay advertising agencies to falsely depict him as a really swell, big, strong, wonderful leader, not who he really is. And I don't think the American voters can get behind him. But here we have the Democrats in a world of hurt 
figuring out what they're going to do in 2020 because they have Biden, the practically senile, very unreliable, very scary, Bernie, the socialist, practically a communist, and Bloomberg, the little wealthy dictator, they, they, every argument the left can ever make about Donald Trump not liking him because he's wealthy and the rich guy bought his way, if there's any chance on the planet Earth that Bloomberg gets a nomination, he will have bought it and the Democrat Party knows it. And that, my friends, is today's first five. So I want to turn and talk about this, uh, the coronavirus. Um, first of all, I mentioned to you, I was at a, a, a policy conference over the weekend and uh, had a great opportunity to connect and listen to different people, uh, talk to them, people very uh, close to the presidency, people very connected to Donald Trump. And I want to talk about the coronavirus and the, what the left is trying to do with it and then what's really true about it. But I'm going to start with, there was uh, CPAC was also this past, I was not at CPAC, but CPAC was also this past week. And at CPAC, CPAC Donald Trump, I, I guess I wasn't there. Someone, a friend of mine was there texting me during CPAC saying Trump was awesome. He was great. Oh, I wish you were here. So he did a great speech. But there was another speech there. I want to play a short segment. Larry Kudlow was there. And Larry Kudlow did a very, you know, he, he's not Mr. Personality, to be clear. He's not this vivacious, energetic speaker. He's not a Trump in his speaking. But Larry Kudlow had a really great uh, set of remarks to make uh, related to the coronavirus and the presidency. And this, I believe, Matt the Wonderful is clip one. And this is Larry Kudlow at CPAC. Right now, everyone's focused on the coronavirus. I just want to say, I was on the air this morning suggesting that the world is not coming to an end. And suggesting that President Trump has made it very clear that the highest priority we have is the health and safety of the American people. And he has taken unprecedented and historical steps to contain the virus, protect Americans, to make sure that this will turn out to be a low-risk proposition, not a high-risk proposition. And it just goes to show you what a country with freedom can do, even with public health which is what makes us different. We have the finest public health system in the world. The virus is not going to sink the American economy. What is or could sink the American economy is the socialism coming from our friends on the other side of the aisle. That's the biggest fear that I have today. And I spoke a year ago at this conference about dealing with socialism. And I, listen, Matt, anybody, I am perfectly happy to have a socialist candidate so we will have it out. President Trump is more than prepared to show the world why what he called in Davos, Switzerland, the American model of free enterprise will whip socialism every time, hands down. It's 
fabulous in that clip. As I say, he's not the, you know, he doesn't have the Trump personality. He doesn't, when he speaks, he doesn't have people on their feet clapping and leaping, but he's such a serious, substantive thinker and so wise and so uh, confident in his manner of speaking. I want to hit it, but three or four points about the coronavirus. First of all, I agree with Larry Kudlow. I say bring on the Bernie Sanders candidacy. I understand it's going to be an uphill battle. I understand it's going to be an ugly campaign season. I understand that Bernie Sanders followers really did mean when they when one of them said you know if bernie doesn't win the nomination on the first round milwaukee will burn he threatened a bernie sanders supporter threatened milwaukee threatened the democrats and if you read more and more about the the higher echelons of advisors and supporters in the bernie sanders campaign you will realize he has filled his campaign with radical socialists who are actually in truth communists they're just smart enough not to call themselves that he has filled his campaign with radicals but I agree, bring it on, let's have that debate in America, let's have the American people really see what Sanders is proposing, really see what would happen to their budget, their family, their life, and what versus the amazing way that we are thriving now in America under the presidency of President Trump, who is putting in place free market, or as he said, I forgot his expression, American style freedom, or Amer the American meaning of free markets. This is what President Trump is doing. But on the coronavirus, number one, the left is politicizing this in the most despicable manner possible. And the only way they'll stop is if their own voters and their own supporters tell them to shut up and start cooperating with the president. Let me start with this. President Trump shut down travel to and from China while the Democrats were still dithering around in the House and in the Senate trying to impeach him. Trump is trying to take care of America. Democrats are trying to destroy the right of the American people to choose their president. Trump had a tweet out saying, I was criticized by the Democrats when I closed the country down to China many weeks ahead of what almost everyone recommended. Saved many lives. Dems are working. Dems were working the impeachment hoax. They didn't have a clue. Now they are fear mongering. Be calm and vigilant. Also to point out Gordon Chang, who's been on the show numerous times. He's a, a national treasure, an expert on China, has also pointed out he was mocking someone who was trying to claim that the uh, stock market going down, which it did, it had a big, uh, a big dip down uh, in response to fear of the coronavirus. And so the Democrats gleefully piling on saying, oh, this is it. This is how we'll get Trump. We'll have problems in the economy problems in the stock market due to the coronavirus, due to the supply chain issues with China, and the economy will go down, and that's how we'll get Trump. So Chang is responding to one of those idiotic tweeters, and he says, Trump slump. President Trump, by acting quickly in January, avoided a crippling, and it's a hashtag, COVID-19, which is referring to the virus, COVID-19 epidemic here, and even bigger market drops. Take a look at South Korea for what happens when a national leader moves slowly. Coronavirus outbreak was the other Twitter, uh, the, the other um, hashtag he was using. The point is, people who actually follow the facts are recognizing that the Trump team got on top of this. They put in place a travel restriction related to people coming back and forth from China, while the Democrats were still you know, beating themselves up in front of national cameras in the House and Senate trying to demand that Trump be removed for doing absolutely nothing wrong. 
But moving forward in the coronavirus, there's also a, um, and actually one other person, Gordon Chang, he wanted their tweet I want to mention, let's be clear, let's be clear, less travel equals fewer infections. Um, uh, and he also says, Moon John, to, um, to please China, failed to close the border. That failure to act inevitably led to the crippling COVID-19 epidemic in his South Korea. So South Korea's got a big problem now. But another thing on the coronavirus I want to point out, and this is a really important point in an election year where we may be facing a socialist candidate on the American left. China, the Communist Party of China, and reminder, the economic system communists use is socialism. That's what their system is. The communist government of China did just about everything wrong you could do when they became aware of this outbreak of the coronavirus. They they hid it. They lied to their people about it. They arrested someone who pointed it out, arrested a doctor who was point who later died from it. They tried to, to suppress the news. They, fortunately, some little clips are getting out, so they're showing that Chinese authorities are literally running around and physically dragging people off of the streets who appear to show symptoms of coronavirus, dragging them off into who, know, who knows where they're sent. Uh, evidence that the, um, the uh, use of crematories, of dis- uh, disposing of bodies dying from coronavirus is on the uptake in China and all of it's secret, all of it's hidden, all of it with the effort to try to maintain control. The core of communism, the core of socialism is tyrannical power held at the highest level of government. It has nothing to do about caring about people, nothing to do with concern for the welfare of the individual, everything to do with control. So this is how China carried out their reaction to the coronavirus, arresting people, hiding the truth, failing to acknowledge to the world, failing to help the world become aware of the problem. They even, I know I covered this a couple weeks ago, but the quickest thing, if you want to understand the abject disdain for the value of human life and the abject, just complete not caring about the health and the safety of your people in China after the government knew about the coronavirus and that it was deadly and that it was spreading, they went ahead with a public event they had planned ahead. They wanted to win a place in the Guinness Book of World Records for having the largest ever potluck meal anywhere. So literally, it was like 40,000 people show up at a, at a government-sponsored potluck, everyone cooking in their homes, who knows who in their homes had the virus, bringing the food all together, laying it out, everyone eating everybody else's food, If you were trying to spread the virus, you couldn't think of a better plan. This is how the godless, atheistic, communist government responds to the needs of the people. I want to contrast that with what will happen in America. In America, we actually care about the value of human life. We actually have a country dedicated to preserving the health and safety of the individual, the freedom of the individual. The entire government response from the Trump administration is 100% opposite of what the communists did. In America, we actually have a country rooted in Judeo-Christian notions of love for your neighbor, care for your neighbor. President Trump was on board right away, understanding restrict travel with China 
as Gordon Chang pointed out, saving American lives, saving the epidemic from coming here in worse terms. We do have cases in America of coronavirus. We have had some deaths. We don't have an, uh, a pandemic here. We don't have an epidemic here. We have we have some cases, and we have the federal government working with health officials around the country to get our response ready. Instead of cooperating, instead of helping, instead of getting on board, two of the most outspoken, obnoxious leaders of the American left have been weighing in, trying to take political advantage of this horrific potential epidemic of coronavirus. You have Nancy Pelosi, who just... Can she, you know, that, that expression, never let a good crisis go to waste. This is her, what she must say to herself when she gets up in the morning. What can I find to accuse Trump of today? What, what can happen in the world? I can somehow think up some idiotic connection and blame Trump for it. So President Trump announced that he was going to have Vice President Pence take charge of the coronavirus response. So President, Vice President Pence has already talked about bringing in experts of all different kinds, bringing in people who can help uh, planning with the, uh, the response of the healthcare system and the, the doctor who can understand best how to treat it, bringing in experts of all kinds to come up with the best plan possible to protect America, which is what you would want the vice president to be doing, given that he was given that job. Nancy Pelosi, instead of saying, how can we help? I have some suggestions. Here's what I think we should do. She put out a press release attacking President Trump, attacking all of the good steps taken so far, and mocking mocking what President Trump has put in place and trying to push herself to the front lines to say, don't worry, America, ignore that president over there. I'm in charge, me, Nancy Pelosi. Don't worry, the Democrats in the House, we're gonna take care of this. Ignore the president. I mean, just the most, just nasty, mean-spirited, uh, small-minded, petulant conduct on the part of Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Her statement was, the American people need a well-coordinated whole of government, like W-H-O-L-E, whole of government, fully funded response to keep them safe from the coronavirus threat. Unfortunately, the Trump administration has mounted an opaque and chaotic response to this outbreak. She just makes up stuff. She just lies. So she goes on to say, the Trump administration has left critical positions in charge of managing pandemics at the National Security Council and the Department of Homeland Security vacant. Okay because every single position was not filled in the National Security Council or at CDC or the Department of Homeland Security or any other place does not mean we don't have sufficient people in place doing what they need to be doing. She's pouncing on and trying to contort a simple and innocuous, irrelevant fact that some positions aren't filled in the NSC to say, see, see, the Trump administration, they're not ready, they're not doing the right thing. So she had a completely obnoxious and just honestly counterproductive uh, attack mode answer response to the Trump administration's efforts to help America prepare for the coronavirus. No one is saying, to be clear, no one is saying, Trump isn't saying, Pence isn't saying, and Pelosi certainly isn't saying that if there were only a perfect response in America, a perfectly planned response, that we would have no cases, that we would simply keep the virus out of America. No one is saying that. Everyone understands we have a problem on our hands. Everyone understands a lot of it. In fact, the problem mainly came due to the Chinese communist, atheistic, socialist, communist government of China 
not caring about the welfare of its people or the welfare of the world, caring only about protecting its image in the world, trying to pretend and hide the pretend there's no problem, hide the fact that they had a problem. This is what this is what the Chinese government response was. So you have to get this thing. China causes the problem by, you know, it appears as perhaps this coronavirus perhaps came from one of the bioweapons labs in Wuhan where the coronavirus started. And they also talk about the wet markets being part of the problem. But whatever source it is or combination of sources, the Chinese government was the source of the problem. The Chinese failure to have, uh, I mean, you know, I'll tell you something. I want to hit one other point to understand the difference between how China will handle this and America will handle this. Even though the coronavirus is uh, it's a respiratory thing and it spreads uh, through the air, it also is spread through feces, through feces left on the ground, through unsanitary conditions, such as you find on the streets of San Francisco in this country today, such as you find all over China. There was a great lengthy piece, as one guy wrote about having gone to China with his wife to pick up a baby they were adopting 18 years ago and could not believe all over China young babies and children were wearing pants that had a slit in the crotch so that would simply allow them to relieve themselves on the street on the sidewalks and leave it there that's what they did and so you have the coronavirus is spread in part by unsanitary conditions related to feces and then you come to america and you have the american left celebrating san francisco's just you know do your business anywhere you want aren't we accepting aren't we modern and progressive we don't care about sanitation anymore so they are they the left is compounding the problem but back to where we are in coronavirus in this country much of what is happening in china is due with the coronavirus is due to the the very nature of communist government the secretiveness the totalitarian nature of it the fear of people speaking up because they don't want to be arrested or punished or silenced in some way the the uh, the government caring more about its reputation in the world than about the health and well-being of their own people so we have coronavirus caused by communist government we have the trade going back and forth between America and China, another whole wrinkle. People talk about the concerns about the supply chain problem. We had on the show, I don't know, two months ago or so, a woman named Rosemary Gibson, who is a, uh, a, an amazing author, an expert, who has written a book recently and is out talking about it, how America has outsourced the production of American medicines that most of the medicines, even vital life-saving medicines for uh, insulin for diabetes, uh, antibiotics for a variety of, of problems, other life-saving medicines that hospitals rely on in the emergency rooms, in the operating rooms in America, even though we have all these great pharmaceutical companies that the left's always complaining about, most medications taken in America today on the shelves at your local grocery store were manufactured in China because everyone thought it was a really swell idea to let to outsource manufacturing of all sorts of things off of American shores over to China and other places. And so now we have a potential threat in America. Medications may be either because China in China, the, as the epidemic grows, they don't have sufficient people working, going to factories to produce the medications that they send here. They have not the American level standards in terms of cleanliness, in terms of inspe regular inspection in the production of medications in China. So who knows who's working in those 
factories in China producing the medicines you're going to trust when you get to the emergency room, whether those people had come in contact with the coronavirus. So we have a medication problem. We have reliance on China for computers, for cell phones, for all sorts of components even used in our military equipment. We have had a outsourcing of American production to China for decades under the auspices of many leaders in this country, not just Democrat leaders, but but mostly Democrat leaders who had the, in the famous words of Obama saying, you know, uh, the, those jobs are never coming back, manufacturing jobs never coming back. So production of those things we, that are vital to us in China, that is now being severely threatened by the coronavirus. So this is when people talk about the supply chain concerns, that's what they're talking about. And this is not to go back to my point earlier, the left trying very hard to blame Donald Trump or to say, if we have a recession, if we have a shortage, if we have a problem, it's all Donald Trump's fault. No, Trump inherited the the, law, the plans of the American left for decades, permitting the outsourcing of all sorts of production of vital things like medications, computers, phones, military things. And now we're looking at the consequences. This is going to bolster the response of the American people in support of President Trump, who is on the mission of saying, America first, bring manufacturing home, bring manufacturing here where we have our standards of cleanliness, our standards of inspection, our standards of what we produce in this country that will be what we need to keep Americans safe. So we have a, you know, we have the left, Nancy Pelosi, the other one, by the way, very quickly, uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who just, you know, in her, with her advanced degree in, um, wait, does she have an advanced? No, she has a degree in economics, but she is mocking, mocking President Trump for choosing to put in charge of handling the coronavirus, coronavirus response in America. She's mocking Trump for putting Vice President Pence in charge of that. And she shot off with some completely idiotic tweet about, you know, this is someone who literally doesn't even believe in science because he won't go along with her idiotic climate change stuff. So she, she this first term Congresswoman, former bartender, economics undergrad, takes a shot at the president in a tweet attacking him for appointing Vice President Pence to be in charge of the American response to the coronavirus. Her tweet says, Mike Pence literally doesn't believe in science. It's utterly irresponsible to put him in charge of the U.S. coronavirus response as the world sits on the cusp of a pandemic. I mean, and later there was another tweet by some other of the idiotic, moronic leftists in Washington saying, you know, Mike Pence isn't even a doctor. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. No one said he was a doctor. No one said he was personally going to bring his medical knowledge to formulate the response to the pandemic threat to form the response to the coronavirus. What he is going to do is act like a grown up gather people together, actual experts who can help us understand, you know, what the threat is, what are the best methods we can, we can embrace in America, we can adopt in America to keep the threat away. How do we handle cases? How do we handle testing? How do we handle cases already uh, diagnosed? How do we keep the American public safe from the people who have been diagnosed? How do we go about eventually working toward a vaccine, which people are working toward? I'm getting all this to say that if there ever was a time that is reinforces or underscores a need to have grown-ups in Washington 
grown-ups in Washington dealing in a responsible manner with a threat to America, this is the great reminder. You have Pelosi firing off, let me take charge, and, and falsely and for no, with no basis at all, calling Trump chaotic and opaque when he's been out there stepping out, taking the lead in stopping Chinese uh, travel back and forth from China as the problem became apparent, uh, even while the Democrats were spending all day long trying to find a way to get Trump out of office. So, so you know, this is, it, I'm not saying anyone has an instantaneous solution. I'm saying that no one on the left is acting like a grown-up. No one. No, no one on the left, at least the spokespeople uh, in Washington, who could be saying, we want to help President Trump, we want to support him, tell us what we can do, what do you need funding for? Whatever they could be saying, they're instead, as, they, as the left so often does, that whole notion of the idea that when there's a problem, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste. Jump in, score political points, score political advantage if you can. Back to AOC very quickly before I turn to my last topic for today. So she had that tweet out, and, and um, Senator Ted Cruz from the great state of Texas, uh, Cruz got involved in the discussion, and he was basically just asking her, you know, um, what is your expertise, uh, or words to that effect. And she ended up saying back in a tweet, I hold, okay, the, I, I got to get the, okay, this is, yeah, this was, by, by the way, it was AOC complaining that the reason that Pence shouldn't have responsibility to be in charge of the coronavirus response, he's not a medical doctor, he's not a health expert, as though, I, I, I mean, it, it's so idiotic, but this is, she's trying to find a way to get political points, to look strong, so she's mocking him. Pence because he's not a medical doctor or health expert, which no one said he was. His, his mission is to be in charge of collecting the people who will find the answer. Anyway, AOC took off and talking about, you know, how she was uh, such an expert and she ended up saying, you know, I hold, this is, this is AOC in a tweet, I hold awards, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I hold awards from MIT, Lincoln Lab, and others for accomplishments in microbiology. And you're like, I mean, you're really you're like, dang, who knew? I thought she was just a bartender with an economics degree. She's talking, she's talking in that tweet about winning second place in a high school science fair. Yeah, her language. I hold awards from MIT, Lincoln Lab, and others for accomplishments in microbiology. She won second place in a freaking science fair in high school, and yet she's mocking Vice President Pence as he's pulling together the team. I mean, folks, I, I, you know, to wrap up this segment, I just want to say this is serious. Serious adulthood is needing a response and creating a response on behalf of America and putting our policies in place to protect the American people. The Trump administration has been stellar so far. They're putting a team together, and the left cannot even in this time of crisis, can not stand up and be the grown-up in the room. Understand we have to work together. Everything in the left is about grabbing political power, making political points. They have no business being reelected to anything in 2020. One last quick topic for the day. So Attorney General Barr um, gave a speech there's a, an annual conference, I've never gone to it, but it's called National Religious Broadcasters, NRB. It's quite large and been around a long time, and you know many, many uh, religious broadcasters attend. So Attorney General Barr gave a, a speech there, and um, I want to play a little clip that he had to say, uh, and then just tell you a few quick things. He, what he helps you understand, he's actually just using different language 
But he again does what I'm trying to do in this show so often is draw a contrast between how leftists in this world think of the role of government and what America is really supposed to be all about. Here's Attorney General Barr. The passionate political divisions of today's world, and especially here in the United States, result from a conflict between two fundamentally different visions of the individual and the individual's relationship to the state. One vision undergirds the political system we call liberal democracy, which limits government and gives priority to preserving personal liberty. The other vision propels a form of totalitarian democracy, which seeks to submerge the individual in a collectivist agenda. It subverts individual freedom in favor of elite conceptions about what best serves the collective. Although totalitarian democracy is democratic in form, it requires an all-knowing elite to guide the masses toward their determined end. And that elite relies on whipping up mass enthusiasm to preserve its power and to achieve its goals. Totalitarian democracy is almost always secular and materialistic, and its adherents tend to treat politics as a substitute for religion. Their sacred mission is to use the power of the state to remake man and society according to an abstract ideal of perfection. Over the past few decades, those further to the left have increasingly identified themselves as progressives rather than liberals. And some of these progressives have become increasingly militant and totalitarian in their style. While they seek power through the democratic process, their policy agenda has become more aggressively collectivist, socialist, and explicitly revolutionary. The crux of, progress of the progressive program is the use of the public purse to provide ever-increasing benefits to the public and thereby build a permanent political constituency of supporters who are also dependent. They want able-bodied citizens to become more dependent, subject to greater control, and increasingly supportive of this dependency. The tacit goal of this project is to convert all of us into 25-year-olds living in the government's basement, focusing our energies on obtaining a larger allowance rather than getting a job and moving out and taking responsibility for ourselves. Okay, was that the best analogy ever? I love that analogy he's making, but basically, I mean, it's a comical way of describing it, so I like that because it's entertaining. But, you know, this whole vision of the 25-year-old living in your parents' basement is what the Democrats are trying to turn. I mean, the Bernie Sanders of the world, and pretty much all of them on the left, are trying to turn America into a, a dependent, I mean, a, a dependent, a person who can't possibly think independently, whose main mission is to try to get more money out of government, more money in my pocket, more money to me so I can do whatever it is I want to get to do. And 
that I love that analogy. It was a really clever one. I want to urge you, that was just a little segment of his speech, but on our website, AmericanCanWeTalk.org, you can go on the homepage under shows, drop down list of links. I linked to that whole speech. I really encourage you to listen to the whole speech because he goes into a lot of political philosophy about the difference between, you know, what leftism stands for in the world today, the radical, progressive, totalitarian, tyrannical, socialist, communist left stands for, and what the idea of America is supposed to be. We have to recognize people in this 2020 election cycle it's not we're, we don't have we don't have a choice between two parties that are still playing in the American ballpark. There, there are not two parties playing in the American ballpark. Bernie Sanders is the most honest of the left because he admits he's a Democrat socialist. He wants to take control of everything. He wants to force tax. He wants massive, massive tax increases, confiscation of private wealth. He's no different than Castro and Maduro, no different in Venezuela, no different at all. All that he is saying, he's trying to couch in terms of sharing and caring and helping and helping these poor people who have this problem or that problem or big student loan debt. But what he's proposing is nothing different than what Castro or Chavez and then Maduro in Venezuela proposed, which is give him power. He will take all the money away from all the rich people. He will liquidate their wealth. He will take tax money away from everyone. He's finally had to admit even the middle class will pay more in taxes so that he can be in charge of everything. This is flat out un-American. And Bernie Sanders is the honest one on the left when he lays out his policies, when he chooses his label, because most of the people running on the left, maybe Klobuchar wasn't a, she's dropped out, but maybe she wasn't a radical leftist, but she's close. She's endorsed Biden. But the point of what I'm saying today is what we are facing in America is a growing number of people in this country who've been duped by the left for decades in their college courses, in their high school courses, in the political conversation in this country to think that they are entitled to everything they want for free. And Bernie Sanders is painting himself as the one to, as the one who will ride down on a white horse and save them all and give them all everything for free. And it only can happen if the government in this country becomes extremely tyrannical. What Bill Barr is pointing out in that speech, it is the choice we face in 2020. It's a choice between perpetuating the kind of free market liberty we have in this country, the abundance, the opportunity for everyone, the prosperity, and the radical, deathly, tyrannical future that always will follow when a country chooses to elect a radical leftist and then let that person actually have charge of the policies and the purse of the American people. A lot more to say on this, but we have time to wrap up the show today. Oh, oh, actually, by the way, all the things I talked about today, you can go to our website, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage, under shows, drop down, list of links, you read all the stories. You can also, on the homepage, click on the word subscribe. I have a one time a week, a Friday, once a week email. I put links to all the shows in the past week, uh, broken down by topic, links to all the interviews we have during the week. So you can go and hear just the portions you want. It's a great way to catch up on the show, 
on Friday or over the weekend if you weren't able to listen every day. It's also a great way to share the show, and I'd so appreciate if you would subscribe. You just go to americacanwetalk.org, hit subscribe, put your email address in, and you'll get the weekly email. I never sell, share, or in any way compromise that list. It's just my list, and I use it to talk to you, my listeners. So I always, at the close of every show, talk to you about why our stories and the topics we talked about today matter to you. So for today, we talked first about the uh, Biden and the three B's, the Democrat doomsday. Democrat choices in 2020 are three old white guys, not what hyphenated America ordered. 77-year-old Joe Biden, mental failing is plain and cringeworthy to all adults. 78-year-old Michael Bloomberg, smug elitist, no ability to connect with real people, history of offending women and black Americans. 78-year-old Bernie Sanders, an angry communist, promising tyranny. He's promising you tyranny. Donald Trump at 73 is more robust, alert, and savvy. He will defeat any Democrat running, in my opinion. Biden as nominee, Sanders supporters will riot and stay home on November 3rd. Bloomberg is nominee. Sanders supporters will riot and stay home. And traditional Democrat voters will vote for Trump. And Bernie is nominee. Radical leftist turnout. Sane Democrats stay home. In any case, the GOP must turn out. And on socialism is a bigger threat than coronavirus. The Democrat playbook is worn out. Never let a good crisis go to waste isn't working. Hysteria is exhausting as a campaign strategy. Coronavirus has been taken seriously, has been taken seriously by the Trump administration from the get-go. There are no magic solutions. Vigilance, wisdom, determination, persistence are needed. Larry Kudlow reminds, socialism is a much greater risk to America than any virus. The American spirit is about optimism and overcoming, not panic and surrender. Politicization of the nonpartisan coronavirus will backfire on the Democrats. This is not how Americans think. Americans pull together in times of crises. President Trump's stature will rise and not fall from this episode. And finally, Bill Barr gets Bernie. Attorney General Barr's speeches are one reason Americans believe that the Barr-Durham investigation will impose accountability on the deep state criminality that severed the Constitution. At Notre Dame, the Federalist Society, and last week at the NRB convention, Barr's speeches show him to be a deep thinker with sound knowledge of American history. He is not fooled by the themes of leftism. This quote from his NRB speech, Progressivism's Bernie's tacit goal is to convert all of us into 25-year-olds living in the government's basement, focusing our energies on obtaining a larger allowance rather than getting a job and moving out. Bingo, for sure. Now, on to draining the swamp. Thank you, my friends, for turning in to America Can We Talk. I love talking with you every day, Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time. Love to hear from you. You can email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. I do try to reply, especially people who have a question or suggestion. Love hearing from you. Urge you to follow, subscribe, whatever it is, whatever social media you're hearing this show on. Please follow, like, tweet, support. Love your support to help grow this show. And mostly, I invite you to tune in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to my show, America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. I'll talk to you next time. Can we talk truth 
about America. Can you